0: The ongoing COVID-19 pandemic has exposed striking inequalities in our society. As a result, there is growing awareness of how marginalisation and entrenched inequality in Indigenous communities has deepened the experience of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people during the current crisis. In Western New South Wales, the situation has been compounded by long-standing issues of overcrowded housing, poverty and inadequate infrastructure. Karen Mundine is the CEO of Reconciliation Australia and is well-versed in how best to heal divisions within communities. I caught up with Karen recently and began by asking her how the current crisis is impacting on the reconciliation process.
1: Yeah, look, it's, it's an interesting one because I feel like in these kind of moments, it brings out both the best of us and the worst of us. And I feel like reconciliation is all about relationships. And when you're creating distance, when you're creating necessarily people having to to stay away, it became quite the challenge of how do you continue to build relationships? How do you, I guess, focus on where the opportunities lie rather than always focusing on, I guess, the negative and I guess pointing out difference. But I also feel like that's also where we get to a really good space with reconciliation. It's when we can appreciate, empathise with difference is actually gets into a much stronger place rather than just saying, well, you're like me, and therefore we have something in common. That's important. But I think in these moments of crisis, in these moments of challenge, that actually can play into some of those divisions. The other thing
0: that I thought would be great to talk to you about is that although Reconciliation Australia is obviously a national body and does a lot of work at that big national level with big national conversations, a lot of your very effective work is actually with local communities. I mean, there's a lot of work that happens there. And particularly, I think at moments where perhaps there hasn't been the same level of national leadership on issues around reconciliation, local reconciliation groups tend to get really active. So what have been some of your more observations and reflections on how the local communities can build cohesion and work together on issues?
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. And I've always said, you know, unless we can feel reconciliation in our daily lives or we can feel it in our communities, we're not really getting as far as we think we are. Um, one of the things that happened early on last year uh, when those early lockdowns started to happen and everybody was kind of in the dark, I guess, of what, what to do, and rightly so. So the Aboriginal community-controlled health services came together and and to lock down remote communities, particularly as we're seeing kind of right now what's happening in western New South Wales. But in those early days, that that immediacy of shutdown. um, But of course, one of the unintended consequences of all of that was a whole heap of supplies weren't able to get into communities as well. And what I was really pleased to see is a number of uh, local community groups, uh, a lot of the, the not-for-profit kind of community groups, but also some of the bigger corporate organisations coming together to get essential services, essential food, um, essential equipment and materials into those remote and regional communities at a time when they need it the most. And I think that's a kind of bigger scale things that I know of, things that happen every single day, whether it's thinking about the communities that people live in and thinking about the traditional or original names of those places, whether it's thinking about how do we talk about the history of this place, the good, the bad, and the often the ugly and, and hurtful and painful parts of it, and how do we, allow allows us to own all of that history, to own all of that past, but create and forge a better future for us. Uh,
0: in those examples you gave, there are obviously, there would be moments of huge contention about history and we have seen these divides between uh, black armband, white blindfold, but you speak of very practical ways in which uh, communities can come together and, and, uh, I guess, uh, be joined about storytelling about history. How important is storytelling and the exchange of uh, stories in, in building those connections?
1: Oh, storytelling is absolutely necessary. Um, It is... We all love a story. We, our lives are storybooks that every day we write a new page or a new chapter for. Um, as humans, we crave that kind of structure to kind of explain what's happened in the past but also um, understand where we are today and where we want to go into the future. So storytelling is, is such an important part of society. And I think when we think about First Nations people, it is so essential. It's, it's how our culture lives. It's how um, we pass on those memories, that history, all of that. And I think the important part of reconciliation or coming bringing those different threads of stories and different perspectives of of history and the past That itself, just the conversation, is part of what successful reconciliation looks like. If we can't come together and hear each other out, and we may end up not completely agreeing on everything, but at least we can chart a way through of understanding each other. Um, It's those crucial first steps. And again, as you were saying, you know, communities, we say this all the time with First Nations peoples, you know, our communities know what's best for us. And that goes for all communities. Communities where you are living and breathing and working together, where you're engaging together, where you understand the nuances of whether it's the geography or the way the community kind of works or doesn't work, um, and who within those communities are the people that we trust, who are the people that we look to um, to provide that leadership, to provide that um, understanding of things. All of this stuff is built into communities, whether it's First Nations communities, whether it's uh, communities from from culturally and linguistically diverse. You know, I I grew up in Western um, Sydney, so I'm really familiar with that. And it's always about who are the people you trust and, and how do we have that shared common experience? And what's your experience and observation about how to properly go
0: about consultation and bringing people to the table who can provide those insights from a government point of view? What advice would you have about how those processes work most effectively?
1: I think it's really important to listen. We hear a lot about, you know, people having to be at the table and all the rest, and that's absolutely important but there is no point in having people at the table if they're not listened to, if they're not heard. Um, if I think back and sort of all of those defining moments with First Nations people, when we talk about stolen generations, when we talk about uh, some of the traumas of colonisation, it's about having those stories heard. Um, so it's hearing and understanding what people are truly saying when they put those points of view forward. And I think in these moments of crisis, and I, I have a quote on my um, on my computer which is from Martin Luther King, which says, you know, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And I think these are the moments that can absolutely increase this, um, these moments of trust and building that relationship of trust, but they can also break it down when people are not heard, when they're not listened to. And, and when there's an assumption to just push things through without taking that moment to... To really step back and listen you know there there is a speed at which things need to happen but i think often it's the speed of trust and sometimes you also can build that in the non-crisis uh, times it's it's what you put in the bank, I guess, if you like, to draw upon in these moments of crisis. There's a really
0: interesting point you make there, and I guess it speaks to your experience in the reconciliation space, which you know obviously has been a process that's been decades long in terms of um, the time it's taken to achieve um, what it's achieved so far. Obviously the divisions uh, that we're seeing now are quite deep. What's your advice in terms of the time and patience we might need to rebuild cohesiveness and and rebuild a bit of uh, that um, unity that we've that, that we seem to have lost?
1: Yeah I mean as I said we, we talk a lot about this idea of the speed of trust and what does that truly mean how how do you build that? I often think part of that is linked to humility. Uh, the humility to acknowledge when you get things wrong, uh, the humility to say, I don't actually know everything. So whether that's a government or a leader or, um, you know, whoever within the community. And part of that humility then comes, as I said, with that idea of, and I think, People, that showing of that vulnerability um, shows our humanity and I think with that, that creates a connection point for us to be able to to move forward. Um, I wish I had all the answers. I think if I did, uh, we'd probably be a bit further along where we are uh, in this process of reconciliation. But I guess what I do see is um, those moments when people do come together, when they stand up. Uh, it's 20 years since the the. Sydney Harbour Bridge walks, moments like that when people actually stood up, the 1967 referendum where the majority of Australians stood up for the rights of First Nations people. Um, and it's also as part of that humility of part of that standing up for the others. And if that means, you know, at this moment in time uh, needing to kind of endure a few kind of inconveniences in our life for the safety and the betterment of the rest of the community, then again that shows that humanity and a humility.
0: One of the the things that I think is um, really interesting about the work that you do at Reconciliation Australia is that you... You do do a lot of work that helps non-Indigenous people understand what life might be like for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, that process of getting people to see things from the other side. I think one of the things that came out of the conversation earlier in the show was the fact that people perhaps don't really understand what it's like for families living in a a low socioeconomic position, overcrowding, lack of resources, all of those sorts of things. And I was just wondering, from your perspective, how important is it? the responsibility that we take and we can always blame but what are the sorts of things we can do uh, to better understand people who have a different experience to us?
1: Yeah, I think the first step is really understanding that just your experience is not the only experience. Um, sometimes I think we forget and particularly uh, potentially in more affluent kind of times we think, well, why couldn't you just do that or just do this? And there's a reality of, as you said, you know, the, the, the experience of others isn't always the same as yours and acknowledging that as a first step helps. Um, the responsibility then becomes learning more about that, um, creating that empathy, understanding what is happening in those communities, understanding, I guess, the challenges that we as a society face and, um, And then I think it's also about speaking up. Um, We talk a lot about allyship in the reconciliation space and what does that really mean? So I think once you start to understand that empathy, once you understand or have some knowledge of kind of another experience, it's also then part of that duty of you to go and have those conversations with others or speak up when you hear other people kind of dismissing or diminishing those experiences. And I think The more people that we have doing that and standing up and being a true ally, so it's not just, I like to think of them more as conspirators with us, that's how we get change. That's how we get to build a society that is inclusive of more people and more experiences and we see the value of that
0: we focused a bit on what we can learn from the sort of work that people like yourself are doing in terms of building uh, unity and, and creating important conversations. But I was wondering if you could also perhaps give us your reflections just on reconciliation, how it's going in Australia, where are we making real progress and, and where perhaps uh, do we still need to do some hard work?
1: Well, we always talk about reconciliation as it's a journey. Um, It's sometimes a bumpy road. Sometimes we get distracted on kind of detours. But generally, I think we are heading in the same direction, which I think is the most important part of that. What we know through um, our reconciliation barometer that we hold every couple of years is that the majority of Australians, over 90% of Australians, believe of a better relationship between First Nations peoples and, and the rest of Australia. And that's a really important starting point, that, that we want to have these better relationships. And with that, we want to have better outcomes because there are positives for all of us when that happens. We have some bumps and I think, you know, particularly some of the experiences of last year sort of highlighted, I guess, where those cracks are or where we haven't really lived up to those ideals, if you like. But that gives me hope, the thing that makes me um, jump out of bed in the morning is that more and more Australians are educating themselves, more and more Australians are standing up and saying, this isn't good enough. Uh, more and more Australians are actually taking that uh, step to become better allies, to actually question some of the things that we've always held to, to be true or to, to that's framed the way that we think about our society and the relationship with First Nations people. And when people do that, they're opened up to this much greater and richer experience. And that's uh, one of the really heartening things that we're seeing across the board.
0: Just picking up on one of the comments you made there about the importance of people doing uh, the education themselves, doing that, that sort of heavy lifting, what are your suggestions and in particular what resources are available through Reconciliation Australia, particularly perhaps for people who um, are interested in in getting this information to their children?
1: Yeah, so we've got lots of um, uh, resources on our website, Uh, but we also, in particular, when it comes to children, we have a program called narragun Wally, which is specifically run through um, schools and early learning services, and there are heaps of resources there. We also partner with amazing organisations like the ABC. We've done some stuff for Play School. Uh, We have a number of educational resources there on all sorts of topics both in that sort of school curriculum um, context, but also just, you know, did you know kind of trivia kind of questions and things that just – I guess, flesh out or broaden out that kind of understanding and that opportunity to understand difference and that different experience. But there's also so many other resources out there. Like I said, the ABC has some great stuff there, uh, as does SBS and other uh, media organisations. But there are films, there are books, there are all sorts of ways to enter into this conversation um, that doesn't have to be hard or frightening. But hopefully, the more that people learn, the more that people engage, the more interested they are going to be about facing up to, I guess, some of those harder conversations. Karen, just finally, can you share with us some of the things that you've been
0: doing to, um, I guess, find your way through this period? How have you been, been staying strong or, or keeping your resilience?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the really important ones is is staying connected to mob, whoever that mob might be. So talking and Zooming regularly with my family and my nieces and nephews, but also with a kind of my urban family, my network of uh, friends and colleagues as well, finding those kind of moments. So rather when I go for my walk, it's making sure that I just take the moment to really connect with country, even though this is not my country here in Sydney, but you know, really focusing on the trees or the sun or things that connect me to something bigger. And I think when I'm connected to something bigger, that gives me both strength, but it gives me thoughtfulness about what is this idea of something bigger and how, even though I'm okay at this moment, um, how do I help others who might be struggling a bit? That's
0: CEO of Reconciliation Australia, Karen Mundine, speaking with me on ABC Radio Sydney's Focus.